give us songs for the morning sun as it was pouring from your mouth. You gave us a lifetime of blessing, a long time of resting in your house. You give us all that. Hello, listeners. Welcome to season two of Create in Me with Rebecca Craver and Brian Dixon. Thank you for tuning in. And we're glad you've joined us for this conversation about the connections between worship and everyday life. Welcome, Create Me listeners. This is Brian Dixon and Rebecca Craver. Uh, We're glad to have you back for more conversation about the art at the heart of worship. Uh, With us today, our guest, Nathan Corona, is an Atlanta-based director, cinematographer, producer, and editor, rolled into one efficient package. Working in the music industry as a musician and filmmaker since 1999, Nathan has worked with a diverse array of artists, labels, and companies across the U.S. Uh, Blessed with a distinct vision for filmmaking, Nathan has directed and produced over 100 music videos for Dust Brand Films. And while music videos will always be a part of Nathan's work at Dust Brand Films, recently small documentary work has become even more of a passion and love. Uh, Nathan directed a small team for five days on location in Istanbul, Turkey, to tell the story of Ladan, an Iranian woman imprisoned for her faith. And in 2016, he directed a full-length documentary for the largest music tour in the world, Winter Jam. Uh, it debuted in over 120 theaters nationwide. And Nathan, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and talking to us today for uh, Create Me. Welcome. Hey, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate uh, being able to say stuff that's exciting for your listeners i'm i'm here for you absolutely absolutely you know i thought we would just kick it off by letting our listeners know a little bit more about about who you are and and the sure. work that you do i've been fortunate enough to be in the creative industry for a long time mm-hmm. i think ever since i left college on the hopes of being a musician i left after my junior year you know i had like a i don't know a year and a half of some or credits to go. And I don't know, I should have finished, but the uh, wonderment of being a musician just was too strong. So I left, I left uh, for the music industry early in my early days and spent probably about 10 or 12 years um, as a DJ producer for a hip hop band called Marzell. And that's where I really, I, I, always refer to those years as my like college years because as as fun as college was, I think I learned so much more being an independent musician on the road and fending for myself, what it means to be like a, a creative professional. So a lot of learning and a lot of good times were had those, <clears throat> those early years. And then I sort of like transitioned from music to film work somewhere in the middle of those last 20 years. And found that film work was even more suited to like my skill set. And I just found this like deep passion for photography, image making, and storytelling that sort of like eclipsed like my love of music. Not that I don't love it anymore, but it just, it became like a secondary passion of Hmm. mine. So here I am. Uh, those many years later, still, you know, I've never drawn a regular paycheck. I've been independent 
uh, creative uh, for 22 years now. And the Lord has like basically been, you know, this catalyst in like all my work and this driving force that, you know, sometimes can be sort of unseen to like a lot of just people that are consumers, but it drives everything that uh, comes from my world. And it's been a, it's been an amazing opportunity to get to do it as a full timer and, and still feed my family. At what point did the, the kind of faith and the creativity intersect for you? Was that something that you went into it as pretty early? Yeah, like, pretty early. Okay. I, um, so I grew up in a, in a, a family of believers. My mom and dad are just, my mom's past, but she was such a amazing leader in our family. My dad too, but my mom was uh, a believer before my dad was. And she basically, you know, kind of led him to the faith. And she just put this fire in us from a young age. So I grew up also in love with hip hop. Mm -hmm. And if you're familiar at all with hip hop, it's really not, a music of faith. I mean, there are people of faith that do hip hop, but in my early years, there was a lot of really corny, cheesy um, Christian rap out there. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of felt like there was more to be said in that industry. So Marzil was born out of almost like this desire to, bring quality and like uh, authentic um, hip hop that is, you know, based on our faith and man child. Who's like the, the uh, other half of Marzil, yeah. the writer, the rapper, he had the same vision. So that was like mid nineties when we started 90, 96 or 97. So the career though, really kind of, started late 90s like 99 2000 and yeah from the very jump my career was always been sort of focused on like our faith yeah actually in, in a spirit of full disclosure nathan uh i'm a big marzil fan and actually okay, I, I saw you <laughs> you and uh and Manchild. i think it was like shanksville pennsylvania Back oh in gosh. like 2003, 2004. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's at the, the beginning there. And and even when I when I, I first heard you guys on a DJ Madge mixtape, <laughs> and the gateway, yeah. getting into raw material, and you know hearing you know cats like Pigeon John and Plato shouting yeah. you out, but also Gift of Gab, and and I was pretty early in my faith and, and in seminary at the time. So yeah, that intersection between you know, relevant, authentic, cultural expression and, and faith like, like that, that's something that has been a bit a through line for me, you know, now 15 years into ministry that, and I think Rebecca and I really do share that as a value that, that what makes for good worship has more to do with its authenticity, has more to do with its quality, has more to do with, you know, than then it, it checks off certain boxes in terms yeah. of, yeah. So yeah, a lot of appreciation. Did you oh, find any kind of, absolutely. Uh, any like resistance to that notion that, that you could do something 
that maybe at face value didn't seem like, you know, either the standard of praise and worship or, you know, spiritual music, but, but doing it with a spiritual intention, was that a a tough sell? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always this like Marzell, we were like in the middle of plop right down in between two worlds. Hmm. We tried to walk the line of like being bold in our faith, mm-hmm. but also wanting to be a light in dark places. I mean, mm-hmm. we we would play a youth group on Friday night and then we would play a bar on Saturday night. <clears throat> and both both venues had purpose. Um the youth groups usually would kind of like underwrite our true, you know, Mm. ministry um, hopes of being in like bars and clubs and stuff like that. Cause they didn't pay as well as the youth groups. And, you know, there was a, there is something to ministering to kids that are at youth group. I mean, sometimes people say, Oh, it's preaching to the choir, but I have daughters I know their friends that go to our church. They're not all there for the correct reason. So I feel strongly that being, you know, at a youth group or in front of your church, as much as a, it's as much of a ministry opportunity as being sometimes in the club. Mm. Uh, so we, we always got this like not Christian enough to Christian. Mm. It would just depend on where we were at that that moment they were very much critical of like our way of you know communicating our faith like we didn't say jesus name enough in our songs Mm. we didn't have enough moments of like the gospel um Mm. but then you you go you know five steps to the other side and you're in a bar and you say you know love is god divine crucified for mankind that sticks out like a sore thumb yeah in a club i'm sorry so to to us we felt like we were just where we needed to be and i think as time's gone on we've seen more artists like lecrae and other guys that have this desire to reach more people than just the church i think you can reach a church and you can reach past the church into the world and you know, as long as, you, like you said, you're authentic in your the cultural expression that you're doing. Like for us, it was hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you, you can you can have a, a very um, influential voice in people's lives. I like what you're talking about, um, and it just keeps kind of resonating with me to think about like kind of finding your own voice and and using that that voice to speak the gospel. Um, cause I, I have experienced that too, where people are like, well, it's, it's not enough this way. It doesn't, doesn't speak all here or all there. And I think, you know, when I think about the gospel and what, what Jesus says to us and to the dis- other disciples is that like, it's you that God has chosen to use. And so why would we change our voice to tell our story? You know, that it's important that we tell the story of the gospel in our, in our words, in our experience, because that's where it makes the most sense. Because when I start trying to speak like somebody else, it doesn't ring true. And so even if I'm saying something that's really good and important, people are going to be like, that's not real. That's not who she is. I mean, 
it's kind of funny. I know like I grew up in a pastor's family and um, so we always talked about these different things. And uh, my dad has a very casual um, kind of an informal way of, of being in like in the pulpit or preaching. Uh, but there are other preachers, you know, who have the, their preacher voice. And, um, and, and, yeah, and for like some it. people that works, right. But like mm-hmm. whenever I started working, um, on becoming a pastor and, and thinking about that, like, that's just not authentic. Like if I came in there, you know, voice booming and just trying to, that, yeah. that people would be like, who are you and what are you, I, what are you doing? And so I think that there's something so awesome to hear you talk about the process of like sort of creating your voice and then you know, really def- not even defending it, but really like living into it and saying like, it doesn't have to fit with what you think it ought to, ought to be, Yeah. but it has to be authentic to me. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that. That's thank you. During that time, it was, it, it was hard to see past it though. There were times when like, yeah, we, they had these, you know, they're kind of corny, but at the time they seemed to mean something that we had these like they would call them summits, hip hop, Christian hip hop summit. And mm-hmm. it'd be like all these artists in a room talking about, you know, the industry or whatever. It, it's, it seems really futile now because uh, none of it really has much lasting uh, meaning. But at the time, we were like always the poster children for, you know, the way not to do Christian ministry. And it was hard, like at the time, it was hard to like, see past that but now as i you know many years this many years later i feel like we've had a lasting impact in people's lives it's completely obvious that we're believers we're still believers we still um you know are leading our families in faith and i don't know i just i can't you can't say the same about every christian rapper that's that's done it and done it the way that they were supposed to do it so I, I feel strongly, you know, even in my current job that there's so much, um, there's a lot that can be done within a creative field in a way that's, that, that will impact other professionals or other, you know, fans of my work or whatever. There's a lot that can be done just in, in the way you carry yourself, the way you lead a team, um, and then ultimately in the quality of your craft and um, I feel like Jesus example wasn't always like at the Sermon on the Mount. It was a lot of just being with other or being with other people and being around people that needed to see who he was. And, you know, not that any of us are perfect at what we do, but, you know, the way you treat people, the way you carry yourself in business and, also in the quality of your craft is very important and it's very much um, how I choose to like be a light for Jesus. I'd like to hear more about um, kind of the transition into um, maybe it's not transition may not be the right word, but as you talked about, like when you became more, um, more curious, more passionate about um, videography and photography, what was that like kind of that transition to that kind of storytelling? Yeah. It was uh, one of the clear moments of like of God's leading in my life, and I didn't even really know it at the time. I mean, to be honest, I was I fought it for a while because we we had some 
some really big professional setbacks in music, like in the 2005, 2006 time period, really heart wrenching, like setbacks that I thought, you know, were my fault. And, you know, without going into a big, long backstory, we just got some legal issues with our music. You know, we were sample based um, classic hip hop and we got in some, you know, some hot water with that. And I was like crushed for like a year or two. I mean, like I was just depressed because I felt like our career had kind of like stopped suddenly. Manchild like basically left the the group because it was just hard to raise a family on the money we were not making. And so initially I like just didn't know what to do. I mean, I kept pursuing music. I kept producing worked with a lot of artists but in that time period the lord like sort of stripped away a lot of ego um a lot of like what i thought was like my right to success and and it was in that time period that like i worked on a music video for marzil and it was like an instant love affair with like cinematography like it just came it came on me like one weekend and then for the next five months that's all I thought about I just fell down the rabbit hole really hardcore and just wanted to learn everything and it was kind of the you know the internet was obviously a, a thing but it wasn't it's not what it is today there's not as much information on filmmaking uh, as there is now back then. So <clears throat> I did just tons of research and I shot um, our, fir the first video I worked on was a black and white super eight uh, music video for Marzell. And I learned the whole process, like how to, you know, load the camera and expose <laughs> it correctly and why this image looks more interesting than that image. And, then the whole post process of having it developed and telesend and, you know, a lot of stuff just right at the beginning. And I was very green. Like I didn't know what I was doing, but I really loved it. I fell in love with it. And I thought it was just that I was going to make a little music video for Marzell. And then that's it, you know, and I'll get back to like being a musician and everything will go back to normal. Well, I made that one piece and I don't know, a friend or another label had seen it and contacted me asking who made that, you know, who made that video? And I was like, well, I did, you know, I just learned how to shoot and learned how to edit sort of. Um, and from there, it just started like becoming a thing and people asking me and they were going to pay me money. And I was like, really, you're going to pay me money. I know nothing. I barely know how to, you know, expose a proper image. And, and it was kind of during that time that my wife was like, and she tells the story way better than I do, but she was just like on her hand, she was on her knees praying for, for me because mm -hmm. I was stuck in between this like music world. And like, I started um, doing these like little small video projects and I was like building contraptions to hold the camera in the garage and all kinds of really seem seem kind of corny to her 
but she just she just was praying for me. She didn't even tell me. She just said, "Lord, I don't know what is going on with Nate. Uh, he's doing this stuff. Just please, let's can we have some direction?" I think it was maybe two or three days later. I got a call from like a real record label about a real job with real money and um, attached to it. And she told me the whole story about like just wanting to know what kind of path uh, you're putting him on. And like, she was just thinking I was crazy. Kind of like a, a Noah story. Like he's out there building this, this stuff and there's no, you know, there's hardly any money attached to it. But long story short, you know, now that I'm 10, 12 years into being a filmmaker, I knew that the Lord was like at the center of like kind of redirecting my path. And it was a really difficult thing to trust because I I had put so many years into being a musician and so many years into crafting a skill set in that medium and then to kind of go a completely different way. It was really scary. And it was kind of humbling, but I told the Lord, I said, I just want to be faithful with the opportunities you put in front of me. So, you know, in music, I tended to be a little bit of a snob with artists and jobs. And I think it was an ego thing. I just always felt like, uh, you know, those guys aren't uh, legit enough for, to be on our record or whatever. But mm. in filmmaking, I thought, you know, I'm going to open myself up to, to work with more artists. I'm going to be a little more um, open to new paths here. And I really feel like the Lord heard that prayer and, like, blessed that prayer. And uh, I've gotten to work with all kinds of artists, and it's been challenging a lot to take it a different way but it's been amazing you know I, I i hope that answered your question i kind of started on that question and sort of built on it but well nathan what what are your thoughts about this question then of of worship so you know as as somebody who you know you experience worship are you, are you involved in in worship leading worship planning at uh in your community I'm not- I'm connected to, so I go to Grace Fellowship in, in uh, Atlanta. We have like um, five campuses and Grace Snellville, which is our, our church here. It's like two minutes from the house. They're like the original campus. And uh, there's, we have an amazing worship team at our church. Um, Aaron Keyes, who he was like a, he was signed to like Integrity Music in the 2000s. He's a, an amazing worship leader. He also has a worship school called 10,000 Fathers. So I'm connected to them in a few different ways. One, I their school, 10,000 Fathers, their worship school, I help build them sort of like their foundational story. It's like a short film. I think it's about five or six minutes. Yeah. And really connected to those guys. And I, and I, and I work for them on different um, projects that they need filmed and like, you know, kind of help with. And I also do a lot of film work for our church and I try to do it in like a, a, Hey, pay me whatever you can pay me and and do it more as like a a donation. And so I'm connected in that way. And and then obviously I'm just a 
part of our body at the church and, you know, we attend there as well. So something I had recently kind of read had to do with this, I guess, a, a, I don't know, two different spheres within our worship of presentation and relationship. Yeah. And I've, I've been talking this through with our student pastor, with our director of music about, you know, the things that we do that are very along the axis of presentation. You know, what, what is it going to look like? What's it going to sound like? Is it, have we practiced it enough? Uh, is it, is it an idiom with which we're comfortable and then relationship. And I find that as a worship leader and as a worshiper, I really default for relationship. I, you know, even if it's not the best presentation, you know, that maybe the sound is a little off or, you know, there was some, obviously not some agreement around what key the song was going to be in. I'm, I'm like, I'm cool with that if there's a very high premium placed on connection, connection, uh, you know, fellowship of worship and then the connection between the worshiper and God. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts on like, just how do you harmonize presentation with uh, the more connective aspects of worship? Yeah. You know, well, that's a, that's a complex question. I hope mm. I can give you an interesting answer. I mean, presentation uh, I think is, it's important, you know, because people initially, I think, are worshiping with their ears initially, you know, like they're just listening. Mm. And I think it it has a um, a real impact if something's not quite right. Yeah. However, you know, I think going back to kind of what we were talking about, like people knowing you or people mm. seeing you work or, you know, being around you can offset a lot of that. And this um, maybe doesn't make sense in a massive corporate setting where there's like, you know, there's a disconnection between people at front and people in the back, but in smaller based community churches and places where, you know, they may know you mm. or they see you. I think the relational aspect and the, you know, your connection to them and them seeing who you are in your daily walk and who you are in your daily life, that probably can overcome a bit of like the rougher, you know, elements of worship. I mean, that being said, I, I am inspired when I hear um, like this week uh, at our Sunday AM service, we sang a song that we'd sang a bunch but there was this worship. There's this new girl that it. She was attend, She's attending the worship school at Ten Thousand Fathers. She came in and sang the song, and her voice was in such a. It was just such a distinct tool. I mean, it was just. I hadn't heard the song like that before, and I. I think after we finished, both my wife and I looked at each other like. It's almost like we didn't recognize that song because mm. it was sung in a in a new way, and mm. I think that's a good thing. I'm not saying that mm. voice is the only thing that can like inspire uh, a new kind of worship, but I think the Lord can use, you know, a new texture, a new way of presenting it, a unique way to like inspire a deeper worship. Because we all felt it. I felt it. Mm. It was just a different voice. Um, so. I think, you know, you can say kind of from both angles, it's important to have that connection, but it's also important to bring 
fresh and new and exciting ways of of worshiping so that people can be inspired you know mm-hmm. i mean i think that's our you know that's our call is like uh creatives is you know this is one of those clichés that people always talk about but if we if we serve the most creative you know the person who created everything mm-hmm. then we need to be working at a high level of creative you know what i mean yeah. we can't be phoning it in and you know trusting that uh the spirit's going to move anyway yes will the spirit move without us yes can it do its thing without using us absolutely mm-hmm. but are we responsible to to represent at a high level absolutely you know and that's how i i kind of feel like the the balance uh it's important on both sides to have that you know deep connection with people but also bringing your craft to its you know bringing your a game yeah you know? that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely well as brian and i were talking about uh this conversation and um, one of the things that you know we kind of thought about so we uh, work in uh, probably a more traditional context for worship. Yeah. Um, um, our tradition comes from a long line of um, lots of creative music, but a lot of the music we listen to um, and sing in worship on a Sunday morning is, you know, based in uh, like a 1700s hymnody. Oh, that's cool. And, I mean, that's, that's yeah. really cool. It is. And, it, and it's, but it, what's interesting for us then is like when we talk in our congregations, there's a lot of um, friction sometimes between uh, people saying, well, worship is, is entertain- entertainment. You know, they mm-hmm. see kind of the things that make it um, more modern um, or just connect in different ways. Yeah. I love that you said that, you know, add new textures to worship. Like, I think to me, that's, that's an image about what Brian and I are passionate about is how yeah. do we, add new textures, you know, like it's not always about like, well, everything has to be taken away and changed. Yeah. Um, because again, authenticity is key. Like if you're singing yeah. songs that you don't know and that don't fit with you, then that doesn't ring off, ring through as true. So don't do that. Like sing, if 1700s hymns work, sing them. Yeah. But um, kind of giving, giving to that, that discussion about entertainment. Like I just kept thinking about the way that we as human beings, I think, divide ourselves without reason yeah you know like like we get all up in arms to argue about like well this shouldn't be done this way or this shouldn't be done that way and i'm wondering about how do you cultivate a culture of worship that is interested in in sort of being inspired yeah yeah so it's a it's a tough question because a lot of people don't even think on those terms you know like Mm -hmm. i do and you know, a, a few of my friends do, but corporately people tend to think of worship uh, a little differently. But I think that's sort of the responsibility of those of us who are thinking about it mm-hmm. to help people get there. And and sometimes it's, you know, I think it can be, uh, is done in a way that's not um, so disruptive. You know, I think you were talking about like adding, you know, texture to the kinds of songs that you guys already do and having a, maybe a slightly different approach in how you sing those. I think it's important to 
have a similar a similar language to what people understand, um, but like advancing it. And you know, there will always be a faction of our church that is connected to one way of doing it and one, you know, method of worship. Um, and that's just something we'll always fight against, you know, in terms of like progressing culture. But, you know, it's funny. Every generation that thinks that they reinvented it, it's Mm -hmm. already been invented. It's already been done that way. Then once they figure it out, they become stuck on that way of doing it. And, you know, the cycle continues. It's like, you know, I'm old enough now to remember like when guitars kind of came in on the scene, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, all those guys thought that they had reinvented worship music because they had guitars and like, you know, modern worship style. And here we are 25, 30 years later, was sort of now stuck in that, like thinking that you've got to have a guitar and, you know, worship chorus it's very easy and i think every generation kind of runs up against this like um way of doing it and um i think it's not so important to abolish any one way of doing it it's more important to like be as innovative as as you can in that um in that voice that maybe people Mm -hmm. are familiar with and i love hearing that you guys are doing more traditional stuff because a lot of that stuff just written better and is deeper and has more um, weight to it than a lot of the modern uh, worship music, you know? You know, I'm kind of thinking that even as you've progressed from, you know, musician to visual artist, is there like a parallel conversation here uh, along the lines of what are we doing in worship that is visual storytelling because p- people have such strong attachment to the worship that they're attached to. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so when you, when you make any changes or you, you introduce something new, it creates such a sense of alienation. But I, I wonder if there's ways that as, as worship designers and as church, we could maybe pay more attention to the visual storytelling. Yeah. And I think that's been done over the years through architecture, stained glass, Mm -hmm. Uh, churches that have, you know, active banner committees that sew wall hangings and and decorations for the altars and pulpits. I think there's a lot of room for us and you as a, as a visual storyteller, do you have any thoughts on, on ways that the church can do, can maybe do more with, um, you know, the visual culture of our worship? Yeah. You know, that's a huge question because every church is a little different approach, but Hmm. It's funny, just recently our church, you know, they're they're coming out of the phase of like video projector content and like showing, having three screens and like all the things that in the 2000s were like, everyone's doing it. You know, we've got to have projectors and our church is really faithful about like, um, we're very missions oriented church and they're they're thinking oh they had two projectors that died and you know they basically just said on sunday like hey um we're thinking maybe we don't even need all these projectors let's just use a single one and you know instead of 
spending $20,000 to do this again. So I just say, I like to say that I think your presentation is important, but it doesn't, it can be, like you said, it can be in a much different um, approach than what everyone's doing. And I feel strongly that, you know, a visual approach is, it's not just like what you see on Sunday morning, but it's also kind of like the culture of your church, you know, like uh, how you communicate all of your things that you need to communicate. Um, starting with, you know, the font that you use on your letterheads and, you know, the connection that it might have throughout the, the whole workflow of the church. And, mm. you know, obviously it's not something that's easily done because some churches are bigger than others and have like a lot more stuff to kind of manage. And that can be kind of a tedious, huge process. But, you know, speaking from a visual standpoint, as a um, person who crafts visuals for a living, I think it's really important to to kind of find artists that you trust as a you know as a church you know organization and investing you know a little bit of your marketing or whatever you want to call that part of your budget into artists that you trust and mm. giving them some leeway to help you build a kind of a visual language and whether that's like in design or in film um, obviously Music is a, a huge part of that as well. I'm just a firm believer in like connecting with people that you can trust and like giving them opportunity to, you know, to use their gifts and to kind of give them use of your talent. And that can be a problem from, for a lot of churches that, you know, I worked at a church before this or worked with a church before Grace that really struggled with kind of micromanaging everything and you know they wanted you to work with them but it was more like here's what we want and can you execute it and to me that's really not a strong body um you know the body should work together but i think you need to give a little bit more um if it's your foot's responsibility let's not reach down with our hand and move the foot you know what i mean mm -hmm. So um, I think it's important for, just like any business, I think it's important to, to really trust the artist with the art. Yeah, this, this is kind of triggering for me, um, or just kind of sparking. Uh, I had had an idea to see some kind of dance incorporated into our non-traditional our non service. And so a young woman in the congregation who I knew takes dance lessons as a dance instructor had a little bit of conversation with her as, as you're saying, and, and the way you're putting it as the artist and, and kind yeah. of trusting her with this vision. And she involved uh, another young woman who's in confirmation class and they did this interpretive dance and it was beautiful. The, the congregation received it really well. And just the other morning we were, we were preparing for this, this non-traditional service. And um, uh, let's go down to the river to pray. Like we, I had, I had selected that. And so she had just said, you know, let me show you a video of a dance that I've seen. I, I think that she said she had choreographed. And so too, having invested that kind of authority in her and said, Hey, 
can you help create something beautiful, something meaningful for us for worship? And just having had that experience one time, but definitely knowing now that that is, that permission is granted. Like, oh my gosh, do that. Share your ideas, share your vision. Yeah, it's very, it's super important. mm -hmm. It got me thinking like, how can I be doing that more with, with other kinds of artists? Like, like I've only been in this church for about a year, but as I'm trying to learn the culture and identify the giftedness that is situated within the community, within the body, and then to bring that out and, and like give permission, invite, you know, that sharing. That's exciting. That's fun to see us do that. It's really important. And, you know, I think the, the, probably the biggest responsibility that you may have is just being vigilant to like, make sure you trust the artists Mm. and, Mm. you know, where it can go off the rails is when, you know, someone's not really at the wheel, you know, I mean, I think the, it can go the other way where you give a little bit too much leeway and you end up with something that maybe it doesn't fit the vision of the church or it doesn't line up with uh, some of the other parts of our doctrines. And, Hmm. you know, I've been, you know, a long time ago, I was part of the church plant in Atlanta and they wanted to, me to be a DJ for their Sunday morning service. And I thought that was really cool. And they were very open to like new ideas and things. Um, And to that degree, they sort of opened up a little bit too much on a few people that came and performed. Hmm. And it was a little jarring uh, a few different times when we saw like some of the things that were okay. And I think it wasn't because they were okay. It was because they weren't seen or heard or screened, you know? So I, I feel like there's also this other side of it that, you know, giving artists uh, permission, but also like being diligent to like look after uh, what they're going to do or what they want to do, you know, Make, like you, mentioned before curating it in a way that makes sense for your body whenever um i think about the kinds of things like so i looked at some of the videos that are on um, desperate films they're really really interesting do you find that you have a certain um like lens for your storytelling that that really guides a majority of your work or do you come to each project and and sort of figure out the story based on that particular yeah. project. I definitely have a, a set of like um, principles that I like always hold true. And, but at the same time, like when I'm given a song or um, a story, I try to really listen to it and digest it and also digest like the artists and who they are and, you know, make sure that I, can kind of like connect with their brand and like the kind of um, images that they would want for their brand. But I always kind of, um, my fail safe is just like, I like organic. I like natural, not just like in terms of image, but also in like story. Like I like real stories. Like it could happen. They could be real. 
not to say that fantasy is I don't like fantasy stuff, but I'm just not as drawn to like a superhero story arc as I am like a regular hero story arc. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. a lot of my work, it's based in like reality and um, natural light using natural light in a way that, uh, you know, as beautiful as it can be, I always try to find God's light, you know, cause he's, He's lighting our earth every day and, you know, a lot of people are trying to block it out and use, use their own light. And like, I like to just harness kind of what's there. And so I kind of do the same in story and, and I like using the truth and like what could actually happen, you know, and how do people deal with like the realities of life. And and that's, I think why I'm so drawn to documentary stuff too, because it, Mm -hmm. it's, it, it exists. You're just helping tell that story. Yeah. How did the uh, project on um, with uh, the story of Ladan, how did that come about? And that you found yourself in Istanbul yeah. working on a, that's yeah, pretty was, amazing. This company called Passion, they have a massive um, yearly celebration in Atlanta. It's like for 20 somethings, like in college, college age kids, um, and every year they meet up. Well, the year that we got to do the Ladon piece, they were doing sort of a a drive to buy Bibles for people in that region. Uh, and we're talking about, you know, part of the world that is highly illegal to own a Bible and to be a Christian. So part of the idea for that um, doing that was to create a little documentary about a person who lived in that region and she when we told her story she was living in um, Istanbul and this is this is like maybe two years before you know what it is now it's like Mm. it's not a place that we can just freely travel anymore it's it's gotten a little crazy in that area but at that time we were able to go and and document her story. She had been, you know, living in Iran for most of her life. And she was converted through like an underground church. You know, she became a believer. And, you know, her story is, you know, one of just like those stories that you are excited to tell because real hero you know she became a believer and instantly maybe within six months wanted to like minister to that country and do it in a way that's highly illegal highly dangerous so part of that involved her you know smuggling bibles into the country and she did it in the face of like imprisonment and she was in prison for a couple of months and there was a whole group of them that were in prison too, but it was just one of those opportunities. I was hired to do it. And once I got involved with it, it was just like the dream job, you know, and I'll, you know, it's one of the moments that I can look back and say, you know, I was like moved to have gotten to work on it, you know, not just that I got to, be the director, but I also got to 
be around that story. It was really inspirational. Well, I feel like we're coming up on our time. So is there anything else that you would like to share with us or think about? I've just enjoyed kind of hearing uh, from you guys as well. Like I, you know, having not really met you, uh, I could, I really get a sense of you have a deep passion for thinking on these levels and it's a joy to talk about and I enjoy it. And hopefully I didn't ramble too much for you, but I think, you know, ultimately as a person of faith who also is, works professionally and creative industry is just, I guess, challenging people in the same, in the same mission um, to pursue your faith at the same level as you pursue your creative endeavors, or I mean, obviously more so, but sometimes we think our work is our, you know, our main focus. But if we put as much time into our faith as we do our creative endeavors, our, our jobs and the things that we feel like is our calling. And I feel like that's probably the biggest, um, revelation that I've had in the last 15 years is just understanding that my faith is, is more important than uh, my work. And it's very basic premise, but it's true. And, you know, my faith tells the story of who I, who I am as a father, who I am as a husband, and it should be the same for who I am as an artist. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Oh, thank you so much, Nathan, for yeah having this conversation with us, sharing um, what you do and, and for all the ways that the work that you do, I think, inspires and motivates and, and just helps others, too. Uh, it's, it's really a beautiful thing, I think, as you said, that we are made in the image of a creator, God. So we are. We are inherently, on some level, in some way, each one of us creatives and as I'm hearing you say, to take our faith seriously, to take that creative work together seriously, and just really try to be, you know, building, to be building each other up uh, into strong, faithful, loving, uh, life-giving people. And that's, that's a cool thing. That's, we, we need more of that. <laughs> we need more of that. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Create and Me Worship and on Facebook at Create and Me. If you have questions, thoughts, or ideas you'd like to share with us, email us at moraviancreateinme at gmail.com. A special thanks to David Melby Gibbons, Rachel Marie, and John Robinson for our theme music. Check them out at Dust of the Saints on Facebook and rachelmarie.com. As always, keep on creating.